Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. Hey guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? (laughs) (laughs) You're a liar, but I'm doing okay. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, I've had a little bit of a rough week, but it's okay. We made it. We made it. We are right. We're at the end of the week now, and we made it to Friday. So I'm yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to the weekend. Kind of, <laughs> and yeah. hopefully, it'll be, hopefully it'll be a little quieter. I have some home projects to work on this weekend, so I'm excited about that. Oh, oh! Do you want me to tell you something kind of funny that'll make you feel better? I think absolutely. Uh, I don't know how this started, but we were talking to my daughter, who is a preteen. You know my daughter, but you haven't seen her as a preteen. It's a different world over here. And so we were asking her something. She was like, you guys just annoy me. And we were like, well, what's annoying about us? And do you know what the first two things were that she said to me? She had a list. The first two was one, I have an annoying laugh, which I didn't even know was annoying. So now I'm like very self-conscious. I just laughed at the beginning of this and I was like, I think I might've done my annoying laugh. Oh no, this isn't good. (laughs) So I'm very self-conscious now. And then she said, none of my stories are good. And I was like, 
I was like, well, I feel like there's a lot of iTunes reviews that would agree with you. So maybe I really should take this into consideration. What is it about kids? They just know how to hit you right where it hurts. It was like the most painful thing you could say to me. She didn't say you're not funny, but like she was teasing around that a lot. And I was like, okay, (laughs) when's it your turn? When's it your turn? But you apparently can't do that to kids. So I had to just take it and cry into my pie later. No, that's great. My little guy, you know how he always has been very, he likes to stay close to home. You know, he doesn't really like going out a lot. And uh, yeah, so my, this actually made me think of you. This happened today. So my mother-in-law was going to take the kids for the weekend and spend some time with them. So she came, she was on her way to pick them up. And my youngest, who's eight now, he said to me, he said, I don't really want to go to Grammy's. I said, why not? I said, you love Grammy. You love hanging out with Grammy. He said, well, how long does it take to get to her house from here? I said, well, I don't know. You'll be in the car for like maybe half an hour and then you'll be there. Right. And he started crying, real tears, burst out crying. It takes too long to get there. And he was kind of, you know, kind of Aww. really losing it. And I was like, are you okay? I was like, I was like, you love hanging out with her. I was like, it's fine. I was like, it's just a car ride. And he's just through tears. He says, I just don't like going places. He's like, mom, you know, I'm not a places person. And I just, Aww. I gave him, I know, I gave him the biggest hug. I was like, I know you're not. I said, and you know, I told him, I said, Miss Melissa would totally agree with you. She 100%. would like just want to stay home. But yeah, it was so sweet. Cause, and it's not that he doesn't have fun when he goes to see um, his Grammy, but yeah. So it was just funny. You know, I'm not a places person. I want that <laughs> shirt. I'm, you know, yeah. I'm not a places person, but no one will ever see it because I'll only be wearing and get it home. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I love that. So before we get into the episode this week, um, we just wanted to make a quick little announcement that we have our, I don't know if it's quarterly. Sometimes we have a week it's- off. It's probably <laughs> about every quarter. It I is. imagine. It yeah. is. So we have our week off next week. Um, there won't be an episode on April 20th, but we will be back on April 27th with a new episode. And we're very excited to bring yeah. you a new episode on April 27th. <laughs> when we're refreshed, rejuvenated, and and ready to hit the ground running again. Yes. Yes. We'll still be working, but, you know, whatever. Of course. Yeah. There's no real breaks in life. No. <laughs> no. I don't want that shirt. Uh, it's true, but I don't want it. <laughs> All right. So this week we have another case of was it murder or was it an accident, which really are some of my favorite cases because I like the challenge of having to look at what the evidence does or does not prove and then come to my own conclusions. And after learning all about this case, I think I know what I believe, but I still can't quite figure out the answers to some of the questions I have. So usually in cases where one spouse murders the other, there's really a very clear motive. But part of what muddies up this particular case is that there doesn't appear to be an obvious reason for why the murder took place. And as usual, the little details are what make the whole case so interesting. When two people get married, it's usually one of the happiest times in their life. No one really goes into marriage expecting for it to end in divorce. But unfortunately, relationships and marriages do come apart and couples do split up. But this isn't always a bad thing for the people that are involved, and a lot of times they're able to move forward and even find love again. And in some cases, these new relationships are better equipped really for success because the two people have had more life experiences and time to mature. And in the case of Diane McIver, she really had a lot to bring to the table for a second marriage. Life for Diane started off relatively normal. 
There wasn't really anything exciting about her life when she was young or disturbingly horrific. Uh, She was born Diane Smith on July 21st, 1953 in Auburn, Alabama. She grew up comfortably middle class and really had everything she needed, but she did not have a good relationship with her mother. One family member said they actually, quote, fought like cats and dogs. Diane could hardly wait to turn 18 and she moved out right away. Eventually, she stops talking to her mom altogether. But she goes on to become this wildly successful businesswoman. Diane was really kind of quirky in her own way. To describe her as being strong-willed would really be an understatement. She always said exactly what she thought and was brutally honest, which I appreciate in people. I appreciate people. Well, not when my daughter does it. Right. I was going to say, wait a minute. You just told me you were like permanently scarred from your child telling you that you don't have good stories. And I just stopped laughing. It's really going to be a problem. My husband after was like, you have to make sure you don't take this to heart because it's going to mess you up. And it is. It truly is. (laughs) She was also described as being very generous and very helpful. And she was somebody that never forgot an important date like a birthday or an anniversary. Uh, She really loved to shop and she collected expensive things. She had 121 fur coats and over 500 pieces of French and Italian costume jewelry. I don't know why you would ever need that many coats. What do you do with that? Or what do you do with costume jewelry? I mean... I feel like that makes more sense than 121 fur coats. That's like more than they even used on that Nicole Kidman movie that came out a few months ago where she wore a thousand coats in New York. That's all I remember that movie from. That's a <laughs> lot of coats. How could you ever need more than like two? two? I mean, we're from yeah. Florida, so <laughs> we should be taken out of this conversation. So Diane really had a lot of fun, though, with her fashion choices, and she really enjoyed clothes. She was, for lack of a better term, not playing around. Everything in her life was very, very scheduled and rigid, and really, she set herself up for success in that way. She woke up at 5 a.m. every day to work out, and she even had weights in her office. Early in her adulthood, she started working for Corey Companies, an Atlanta-based company. Corey Companies was first established by Bill Corey in 1978 and primarily dealt with billboard advertising. Eventually, the company expands to other outlets like TV, radio, video games, and even stadium sponsorships in the 1996 Summer Olympics, which were held in Atlanta. They added airport advertising to their repertoire in 2002, and after that, Diane began working for the Corey Airport Services. Corey Airport Services specializes in hosting airport advertising displays and developing coordinating brand experiences in airports. They work with their clients to deliver advertising in a high-tech visual manner that grabs attention. So when you're grabbing a Starbucks and you're on the little tram thing going through the airport, they help to make those signs that make you turn and look uh, yeah. and spill your coffee. <laughs> well, you know, and whenever I was reading this, I was like, oh, yeah, if you think about it, if I think about it, I've traveled quite a bit. And so I've been in and out of a lot of airports. And it is interesting that the advertising in airports is a little different. If you notice the techniques that they use is a little bit different. And I guess that's because they really only have so long to capture your attention and get you to buy the product because you're only passing through you're in an airport. So it makes sense that they would have a different way of advertising. But whenever I was reading about, you know, what Corey Airport Services does, I was like, oh, yeah, I totally get that. I totally see how that would be a complete separate, you know, thing of advertising. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Diane was fortunate to have somehow found herself under the guidance and mentorship of Billy Corey himself as a young adult. 
She took a job for the company by answering phones in 1973 when she was just 20 years old. And with this company, she worked her way up really quickly. She did a great job working for them. And she was very determined and motivated to climb her way to the very top. Diane found the success she was looking for at Corey Companies, and she continued to climb the ladder and earn her way into management positions. She started to be able to afford an even more lavish lifestyle. It eventually earned her millions of dollars, but also gave her the label of being a workaholic. She eventually became the vice president of Corey Companies. She also became the president of U.S. Enterprises. She really amassed just a small fortune for just herself. At some point, Diane gets married, but we couldn't find any information really about this first husband in her research, only that she had been married at the age of 40, and they divorced sometime prior to the year 2000. Diane was in her mid-40s at that point when she divorced him, and some of the research suggests that the relationship was really riddled with problems, but again, there just wasn't a lot of information. The relationship would have only lasted about five years long, give or take a few, and during this relationship, Diane had no children. Diane really embraced her independence in the wake of this divorce. She was already very successful, so she just really focused on her career and moving forward. She was not interested in looking for any type of new relationship. So after this divorce, Diane's really hoping for a fresh start. During this time, she moves into a fancy new condo in Atlanta's Buckhead neighborhood. And Mandy put a note in here about the Buckhead neighborhood. Yes, I know what the Buckhead area is in Atlanta. <laughs> it is home to several real housewives of Atlanta, like Phaedra Parks, Kenya Moore, and even Chateau Charest, Charest Whitfield's home, is all in Listen, the Buckhead I, neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know really anything about Atlanta neighborhoods. I don't know a lot about the Atlanta area, but um, when I was reading about this and they were talking about what like a, a fancy and like yes. kind of hoity-toity area this was, I was like, I wonder if any of the Real Housewives are uh, from Three. this area. <laughs> <laughs> I know about this, but Sheree Whitfield, so she had like, she was building this house on the show for years in Buckhead and they called it, she called it Chateau Sheree, but then later they called it Chateau She Can't Pay because it took years and years for her to build it. And it was finally Ooh. done, but like halfway, <laughs> it was very shady. And that's where I love Real Housewives of Atlanta. So Buckhead, as we're saying, is this area in Atlanta that's known for being a more affluent community. Some of the wealthiest communities actually are in this area of Buckhead, including the Georgia Governor's Mansion. So in this condo that Diane moves into, it's called the Villa at Buckhead Heights. It was definitely ritzy and really had all the creature comforts that one could want, and then some. Diane really fit in right right away there, but at the same time, she also kind of stood out. Everyone in the building noticed that this newcomer who was there, you know, is always dressed to the nines. She's wearing fancy clothes. She has 121 fur coats, and she's carrying herself with a very specific way about her. But one fellow resident at the condominium in particular took an extra interest in the polished and posh Diane. And that gentleman's name was Tex McIver. And he was just as much a prominent figure in the Atlanta area as Diane was. Tex was older than Diane, who was 47 at the time, and Tex was 58. He was born in San Antonio, Texas, and I couldn't find a lot about his childhood or really his early background, but it was said that he did love nature and being out in the country. He had this cowboy image and was what some people might call a genuine Texan. But by the time he met Diane, Tex was pretty well known in the Atlanta area. 
His real name was Claude L. McIver III, but he went by Tex. And I assume I had this light bulb moment that it was probably because he was from Texas. So Tex had earned himself, he earned himself really a nice and comfortable life as a very prominent attorney. He had attended law school at the University of Texas School of Law and graduated in 1968. So he started practicing law in the field of labor and employment, corporate compliance audits and counseling, employment law training, international labor law, and other labor law-related areas, and more. He was a captain in the Air Force as well as the Judge Advocate General from 1968 to 1972. He was also a member of the American Bar Association, the Federal Bar Association, the State Bar of Georgia, the State Bar in Texas, and Atlanta Bar Association Delta Phi. So he had a lot of credentials when it came to the field of law and practicing law. And oh my gosh, just even thinking about every, like all the knowledge you would have to have to practice law in like the field of labor and employment. Oh my gosh, he had to just have a ton of knowledge. Like, you I know, couldn't I just, even it's crazy. remember all the places that he is involved in. Like if I was him, that's how feeble my little brain is that I'd be like, well, I know that I'm involved in it's like there's something with the word bar in it. Right. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he was the real deal. He was definitely um, a recognized attorney and, you know, not not like a better call Saul situation. <laughs> he was a real yeah. um, a real attorney. He was a real lawyer. Um, So not only was he reputable, but he was also very good at the job. He made a name for himself and donated a lot of money to his own political interests. And along the way with doing that, he made connections with a lot of very high profile and very wealthy men and women across Atlanta and beyond. He had been working at Fisher Phillips since 1972 and For those who don't know, which is probably most of us, I had no idea what Fisher Phillips was, but it's one of the largest uh, law firms actually in the United States. And they are dedicated to representing management in the areas of labor, employment, civil rights, employee benefits, and immigration law. So if an employee is going to sue their employer, then these guys are the guys who fight for the employer side. So they're the ones who are defending the management company or who are, you know, the managers of these companies. So they have 36 offices all across the nation, and they have over 400 attorneys employed. So it was no small feat for Tex to have actually worked his way up and earned his spot as a partner with this massive law firm. Tex was a staunch Republican during a time when Republicans had the majority in Georgia, and he held various positions of power as it pertained to politics, many of which I don't personally understand at all, but he had a lot of friends with political ties, and he was even appointed to the Judicial Nominating Committee in 2005. And so this is the committee that recommends names to the governor when there are vacancies on court benches. So this is a pretty important and powerful position that he was holding. So as we said before, he was a very influential man and very well known in this community. Tex had also once found love or what he thought was love, and he had been married before and had two children with his first wife. Once again, I really couldn't find a lot about Tex's first marriage, but I did read that the divorce from his first wife was so messy that in the end, Tex actually became estranged from not only his ex-wife, but also from his own three children. His first wife's name was Nancy, and she had been long accusing Tex of having an affair for several years. Of course, not with Diane. This would have been with somebody before her. But their divorce process actually just drug on and on, and it was taking a really long time. And it was very expensive. And, you know, Tex, as I said, it destroyed the relationship between everybody in this family. 
So Tech started focusing on his work for a while. And there were many women, of course, who were interested in him. He is this very prominent figure. He's got a lot of money. So yeah, of course, there are women who wanted to date him, but he wasn't really interested in dating at this time. Not until he saw, of course, Diane. And we're going to get into more details of this story after a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. When I hear the words high quality, my brain immediately translates that into I'm going to love it, but it's going to cost me. But Cameron Hughes Wines wants to help you think differently when it comes to quality wine. They believe that high quality wines should be affordable, and they've made that happen with their unique business model. You know those $100 bottles that you see at your local steakhouse? I've always wanted to try one of those, but for $100, I'll just drink my Diet Coke. Thank you very much. But with Cameron Hughes, you can try that high-end wine, but for a fraction of the cost. That's because Cameron buys the wine that's overproduced from these wine companies, but he keeps his mouth shut about where he gets them from. They take the wine from these companies and put the Cameron Hughes label on it and sell it to you for a fraction of the price. So you get that high-quality wine at a huge, huge discount. How huge exactly? Take, for example, one that I tried, the Lot 747 Russian River Valley Pinot Noir. It's a smooth and savory gold medal Pinot made by one of the best producers in California wine country. When Cameron Hughes puts their label on this wine, they sell it to you for just $16 a bottle, which is less than half of what you'd normally pay for this wine. And don't forget Mother's Day is coming up. Cameron Hughes delivers high quality wine right to your mom's front door. It's the perfect gift for all the moms in your life. Go to chwine.com today to get 20% off the already great prices and free shipping when you buy three or more bottles. Just enter our code MOMS at checkout. That's chwine.com with code MOMS for 20% off three bottles or more plus free shipping. Great wine, great prices delivered right to your door in the safety of your own home. We all know moms are the real MVPs. This year, show the moms in your life how much you value them by gifting them the gift of StoryWorth for Mother's Day. My mom is in New York, and I don't get to see her as often as I'd like, so having her share stories about her life through StoryWorth is a great way to stay connected, even when we're apart. If you aren't familiar with the amazing gift of StoryWorth, let us explain. StoryWorth is an online service that helps the moms in your life share stories about their life by answering thought-provoking questions every week. StoryWorth simply emails them a story prompt every week, and then they reply to the email with their story or answer to the question. It's that simple. And the best part is that at the end of the year, all of the stories will be put into a keepsake book that's shipped for free with all of their stories about their life that you can cherish and pass down for generations to come. For Christmas, we gifted StoryWorth to my father-in-law. Before we sent it to him, we went through the standard StoryWorth questions, and we kept a lot of them before exchanging some to ask questions that would be specific to him and his life. Questions like, what was your mom like when you were a kid? Or what's one activity that you've tried that you wish you could do again? Thanks to these prompts, my husband's already learned so much about his dad and even his grandparents that he wouldn't have known otherwise. Give your mom the most meaningful gift this Mother's Day with StoryWorth. Get started right away with no shipping required by going to storyworth.com slash moms. You'll get $10 off your first purchase. That's storyworth.com slash moms for $10 off. Now back to the episode. So before the break, we were talking a little about the backgrounds of both Tex and Diane. So one of the places that Tex owned happened to be in the same condominium that Diane moved into after her own divorce. Tex saw her one day and he immediately felt drawn to her. He decided to get her attention by slipping a note under her door. Diane wasn't home at that time, but her friend, Danny Joe Carter, was there. 
She sees this note, calls Diane and says, hey, someone pushed this note under your door. And Diane says, okay, read it to me. What does it say? And Danny tells her it's from someone named Claude Tex MacGyver, who's a new neighbor and wanted to wish Diane a warm welcome to the building. You know, what's really funny about this is that I read in one source that Danny Joe, uh, whenever she read that his name was Claude Tex MacGyver, she made a joke to Diane and said that she would have changed her name to Tex 2, I guess, if it was really Claude. And so I thought that was kind of <laughs> just a funny little thing. Yeah, she was like, I would have changed my name to Tex 2. <laughs> so Danny Joe reads her this letter and, you know, Diane thought it was nice, but she wasn't really interested in becoming anything more than friends with Tex, but he kept pursuing her. Finally, he convinces her to come to his apartment for a dinner date. That's a lot of pressure to go to somebody's house in your condominium. Like if this doesn't work out, we still have to see each other. That's another one of those pooping where you eat situations. Right. <laughs> <laughs> We're back there again. But it had a different outcome for them. So he finally convinced her to come to his apartment. And Diane really did not consider this to be a date at all. She shows up in a ball cap and athletic wear, which is saying something since she had 121 fur coats. Right. She really did not care about this meeting. <laughs> no. Listen, I had one blind, not blind date, my mom's best friend's son and I did not want it to be a date and I knew he liked me and I wasn't interested and I my mom was like can you please look a little nicer and I wore like overalls and a sweatshirt and looked as terrible as I could I looked like the before (laughs) in every like 90s dating movie before the girl turns hot but I never turned hot yeah I just was Melissa at the end (laughs) like you take your glasses off and he's like oh no she still looks like that that was all So eventually Tex still was really interested and the couple ended up dating. They really became inseparable and they started spending weekends together uh, back in Texas where uh, Tex had something called the ranch, which was like his weekend home. They often threw parties there and some of the area's most influential figures would be in attendance at these parties. Their separate but established lives very quickly became intertwined. Diane's company, Corey, was actually suing the city of Atlanta due to alleged municipal bias in the awarding of contracts at Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport, and she got to work with Tex during the lawsuit. The city of Atlanta ended up paying the Corey company a $3.9 million settlement. So as the relationship between the couple began to progress and become more serious, Tex actually leased out his unit at the condominium and bought another one that was right next door to Diane's. They decided to tear down the wall between the two units and make one giant condo. Those close to the couple said they were really perfect for each other. One of Diane's co-workers said that Diane's strong personality usually intimidated men, but Tex never wanted to compete with her. He was really just infatuated with her. In 2005, after dating for a few years, all of which were nothing short of amazing for this mature couple, Tex felt like he was ready to take a leap and try marriage for a second time. He picked out a $60,000 diamond and enlisted (laughs) Diane's friend's help in selecting the perfect setting for this $60,000 stone. And I hope Diane's friend said, just give me $59,000 and I'll help you find something for her. (laughs) So, of course, when Diane is presented with this beautiful ring, she's so excited, overjoyed, and she says yes. Their wedding was actually at the ranch, and it was very Texas style. The guests actually sat on hay bales, and Tex wore cowboy boots and a cowboy hat, which is 
you know, that's totally fine. But oh my gosh, they both have so much money. Would you, how would you feel, Melissa, if you showed up and they're like, here, sit on this pile of hay? <laughs> if I found out that ring was $60,000 and I was sitting on a hay bale, I would be <laughs> so, unless they had real barbecue and then I'd be like, sure, sit me anywhere. I just want to eat barbecue. Yeah. I'd be okay. <laughs> yeah. But even though, you know, we make jokes about the hay bales and all, there really was plenty of money involved in the production of this wedding. And um, Diane actually arrived in a horse-drawn coach. It was a two-horse-drawn, double-horse-drawn coach. And her horse was actually her maid of honor. So that sounds a little more like what I would be expecting. Not if I was Danny. I helped you pick out a $60,000 ring and a horse is your maid of honor. That's right. <laughs> a slap in the face. No kidding. So by all accounts, Tex and Diane were just the most magical power couple you could possibly think of. Neither of them really needed each other, but they just genuinely loved being together. Because they both had established themselves and their own finances, they decided right from the very beginning that they were going to go the route of keeping their own assets and finances separate in the marriage. And they were both fine with this arrangement after, you know, they both have experienced this really complicated process of getting a divorce that costs a lot of money and causes a lot of heartache as well. So those who knew the couple said that they were so full of life, but Diane was especially loved by all who knew her. She literally lit up a room. And while Tex was a bit more reserved, they really did appear to be very much in love. They lived a really nice life living in Buckhead most of the time, but they also took off to the country and stayed at the ranch on weekends and as often as they possibly could. The couple truly had it all, and they should have been smooth sailing and really easy coasting right on through retirement. But on September 15th, 2016, a strange and suspicious tragedy unfolded that left many people questioning what they'd always believed about Tex and Diane. It was on this day that Tex and Diane had spent several hours golfing, followed by an evening of drinking with company, including Diane's friend, Danny Joe Carter. Danny Joe, however, wasn't drinking that night because she was the designated driver. So at the end of this evening, Danny Joe took the keys and got behind the wheel of Texas SUV to drive the three of them home. Diane was sitting in the front passenger seat and Tex was sitting directly behind her in the back seat. Thanks to the alcohol and the lull of the car, Tex eventually dozed off in the back seat on the way home. And at some point, Danny hit a traffic jam, and so she got off the highway to take a back way home. During this whole thing, while she's kind of, you know, getting off the highway and changing streets, Tex wakes up for a brief moment and looks out the window and notices that they were in what he said was a bad area of town. So he asked his wife, Diane, to reach into the center console and retrieve his 38 caliber pistol so he could just have it handy. Diane handed him the gun, and he dozed off again in the back seat. But moments later, the alarming sound of gunfire rang out inside the car. The gun had somehow been discharged, and Tex allegedly had no idea what happened. Diane was heard saying, Tex, what did you do? As she realizes that she's actually been shot yeah. in the back. When the gun fired, the bullet traveled through the back of the passenger seat and into Diane's back. At first, Danny, who, as we said, was driving the car had no idea what had just happened. She thought there was an explosion somewhere outside. She didn't understand like what was going on, which right. I think anybody would be like, what in the world was that? But then she realized that her dear friend is now fighting for her life. So she put on the gas and headed for the hospital. The situation for Diane was really grim. The bullet had actually traveled completely through her body and exited out the other side, 
totally ravaging several organs. It first penetrated a rib and scattered bone along the bullet's path, which had then traveled through her left kidney and severed blood vessels, leading to and from her spleen, pancreas, and stomach. This caused blood to spill into her abdominal cavity. The ER doctor first examined Diane at about 10.15 p.m., and by that time, she was unresponsive, but she did come to just a little. In this moment of lucidity, she told the doctor that the shooting was an accident. At that point, Dr. Hardy knew that she had no choice but to intubate Diane. Before Dr. Hardy put the tube down her throat, she asked Diane if she'd like to see her husband first, and Diane said no. She was intubated but went into cardiac arrest just five minutes later. Doctors worked hard to stabilize Diane in the hopes of moving her to a more equipped hospital, but she was never able to be stabilized. She was given a blood transfusion, but her blood pressure remained so low it could hardly even be detected. In an emergency effort to save Diane's life, her abdomen was opened up and doctors realized they were dealing with a far, far more severe problem. Nearly all of Diane's blood volume had actually spilled into her abdomen. For an hour, surgeons worked to tie off the damaged blood vessels and stop the bleeding, but her chance of survival was virtually zero at this point, and sadly, Diane passed away during the surgery. The surgeon report read, quote, There was no disagreement whatsoever among anyone involved, including all of the surgeons and anesthesiologists, that we could have done anything differently and given her a chance to survive, end quote. She passed away around 1.20 a.m. at 63 years old. Later on in the day, on September 26th, an autopsy was performed on Diane. It was determined that she died of a gunshot wound to the back, and interestingly, her death was declared a homicide. So the homicide ruling came as a big surprise to Tex, who had been adamant that the gun discharged by accident and his wife's death was nothing more than that, a very, very tragic accident. On October 6th, Tex finally spoke publicly about the shooting and declared himself innocent of any crime. Tex's story was that after Diane handed him the gun from the console, he dozed off again with now this loaded gun sitting on his lap with his finger on the trigger. This is by Tex's own admission. He said that he was holding the gun on his lap in a way that the barrel of the gun was pointed towards Diane, who was sitting in the passenger seat in front of him. Tex claims to have no idea how the gun went off exactly. He said all he remembered was that he woke up and had this realization that the gun had gone off and, you know, also then realized the gun is in my hand. The gun has gone off. So he says he wakes up and he's having to piece all of this together. Hmm. Diane, as we said before, didn't know what happened at first, but then she realized and said, Tex, you shot me. Tex insisted that the shooting was a complete and total accident, and Diane seemed to be believing that as well. As we mentioned before, she did tell the ER doctor that she believed her husband shot her by accident just shortly before she died. But since the medical examiner had ruled Diane's death a homicide, investigators moved forward as though it was a homicide case, and they did have plenty of questions to answer with this one. Instantly, the case became very high profile, as you can imagine. Both Diane and Tex were well-known and well-recognized figures in Atlanta. So this was a huge story. There were obvious concerns from the start with the story that Tex gave that he fell asleep in the back of a moving car with a loaded gun on his lap and his finger on the trigger because that's just really not good firearm, you know, safe handling practices. At best, it's just bad practices. But in the worst case, it could indicate that it wasn't an accident after all. 
And Tex was really no stranger to guns or to gun ownership. And based on his background, there was no denying that Tex was fully aware of the basic universal rules of gun handling, which are that you treat every gun like it's loaded. You don't point the muzzle at anything that you don't want to kill or destroy. And you keep your finger off the trigger until you are ready to fire and you have your target on sight. And then also you have to be sure that whatever you're shooting at, nothing is behind it that you don't want to shoot at. So there's these basic rules that a gun owner such as Tex with a background that he had would have been aware of. Right. Yeah. So with that, there's not really any question about it. Tex did break all of these basic rules. But why? The police question why somebody as knowledgeable as him would have even thought that this was a good idea or a good practice to have this gun in the back of the car this way. It just didn't really add up. Tex actually owned a pretty impressive collection of guns. He had about 40 different types, including rifles. And he was, as we said before, also in the military. So he had plenty of formal firearms training. And really, there was just no excuses for this. At the very least, they had him on negligence. The more investigators dug, the more they found. In an interview with Danny Joe Carter, who was the one driving, the police learned that Tex was the one who decided that they should drive to Emory Hospital. If you're familiar with the Atlanta area, then you might know that there are actually several hospitals within a pretty close proximity to each other. But the you know main big deal hospital in Atlanta is Grady Hospital, and that's where they have their top tier trauma center. And everybody in Atlanta knows what Grady Hospital is. I don't live in Atlanta, but I know what Grady Hospital is because yeah. I've heard about it in podcasts and just in life in general. You know, you know, Grady Hospital is in is located in Atlanta. So Danny Joe said she thought they were actually the closest to Piedmont Hospital, but she didn't know how to get to that one from where they were. And so it was Tex who told her that Emory Hospital was closest and told her how to get there. As it would turn out, Danny Joe was actually right. They were closer to Piedmont, but Grady wasn't far away either. It was only about 3.2 miles away. And the hospital that Tex had her drive to was actually the farthest away from where they were. Some people, of course, speculated that Tex might have sent them on a longer drive in hopes that Diane would bleed out before they could get there. But one of Tex's friends, uh, Sheriff Howard Sills, who was not involved in his case, did not have anything to do with investigation or anything like that, just a friend of Tex, said that he believed Grady Hospital just wasn't one that Tex was considering at all because typically the wealthier, more high-profile people, he said, they don't go to Grady, they go to Emory. So he thought that's why Tex thought Emory as his first choice and didn't think of a different hospital. And still, there were more weird circumstances. The gun that was used in the shooting was a revolver. And for those not familiar with revolvers, there are two different ways that revolvers can operate. There's single action or there's double action. With a single action revolver, the handler has to pull the hammer back and cock the gun to make it fire. With this type of gun, once the hammer is locked back, the trigger barely needs any pressure to fire the gun. So owners of this type know that you would never cock the hammer back unless you were literally about to fire the gun that very second. You'd never leave this type of revolver in the ready state like this because any pressure at all on this trigger, the gun's going to go off. So in a double action revolver, the trigger is responsible for performing two actions within the gun. When the trigger is pulled, the gun automatically pulls the hammer back while rotating the cylinder and then it fires. This type of revolver requires about 12 pounds of pressure on the trigger, making it highly unlikable that you'd ever be able to pull this trigger by accident. So you may be wondering, what type of revolver did Tex have? Unfortunately for Tex, it was the double action kind, which really did not bode well for his story. 
a sleeping person cannot really apply 12 pounds of pressure to the trigger of a gun. By the way, the gun was actually inside of a Publix plastic grocery bag when it was fired. So by Texas account, he was holding the gun that was wrapped in a grocery bag that was on his lap with his finger on the trigger, and he accidentally pulled it hard enough to set it off while sleeping. Tex had the support of a few of his friends and family, but otherwise, people really weren't buying it. They thought it was a convenient story to cover for shooting your wife in the back, literally. And we're going to get back into what happens next after one last break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. One of my neighbors has a gorgeous lawn. You know the kind. If Don't You Wish Your Yard Looked Like Mine was a magazine, theirs would be the cover. I'd love to tell you that I wasn't jealous of it, but I was. And by comparison, mine looked even worse. That is until Sunday lawns. Before Sunday, my yard had those brown spots and the weeds, so, so many weeds. I thought the only way to get green grass was to spray paint it and just hope it didn't rain. But thanks to my customized lawn care plan from Sunday, I now am growing a beautiful lawn that's sure to make my neighbors green with envy. To get your beautiful lawn, just do what I did and go to sunday.com and enter your home address. The experts at sunday.com then give you a free lawn analysis in just seconds. And what I love about the analysis is that Sunday knows my yard is unique. It takes into account everything like the climate, the soil, and where I live. So it makes a tailored nutrient plan so my yard gets everything it needs and nothing that it doesn't. To be quite honest, I've never been one for lawn care. I'm never going to spend hours on my lawn. I'm frankly way too lazy. Sunday makes it so easy though, and it takes less than 15 minutes. I just attach the ready-to-use pouch to my garden hose and I spray. What I really love is there's no real planning involved for me. Sunday is taking care of the guesswork, and I just wait for the boxes to arrive and follow the directions, and Sunday's experts have taken care of the rest. My yard is already looking better than it did since we've moved in after just one Sunday treatment. We use the next one in a few weeks, and I can't wait to see what it looks like then. Let Sunday take the guesswork out of growing a greener, more beautiful lawn this spring. Visit GetSunday.com moms to get $20 off your custom lawn plan at checkout. That's $20 off your custom plan at GetSunday.com moms. Life is full of ups and downs. Sometimes things can be going great when you suddenly have a curveball thrown your way. Your mind is all over the place and you're struggling to find balance and peace. Or maybe you have critical or urgent things going on in your life that you need to discuss with someone and just have the opportunity to let it all out. BetterHelp Online Counseling may be the solution you've been looking for. I signed up for BetterHelp over a year ago, and when I signed up, I took a short quiz to figure out what I was looking for in a counselor and was matched right away to a therapist who I actually really enjoy talking to. My counselor is helping me work through some things I've been struggling with for years, but I love that I have the option to speak with her by video chat or phone calls. I prefer phone calls so she doesn't see what a hot mess I actually am. She's available through messages during the week, and I genuinely feel like she's invested in the things I want to work on. I love that I can speak to my counselor from my home and at times that I can make work. Everything you share with your counselor is confidential, and BetterHelp can help match you with a counselor who is specialized in things like depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, trauma, and more. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. We want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com moms. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot moms. Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? 
Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. Now back to the episode. Before the break, we were talking about the circumstances of the shooting that Tex was alleging was an accident that ultimately took the life of his wife, Diane. There were some things that the investigators found that were what they considered a little bit suspicious about um, the way that Tex had a loaded gun in the back of the car and just wasn't really practicing very good gun handling practices. But prosecutors would still have to make a solid case with the evidence they had to prove that this was actually an intentional murder. Of course, a big piece of that puzzle would be finding and proving a motive. Why would this particular man want to murder his wife? The couple had it all, and... According to everybody who knew them, they were the best power couple in Atlanta, and friends said that Diane was the love of Texas life and just what he needed after his messy divorce. One of their closest friends, Anne Schwal, thought so highly of the couple that she asked them to be the godparents of her son, Austin. And they were amazing godparents. They absolutely adored Austin, and Austin loved them just as much and spent a lot of time with them at the ranch. Tex and Diane would also throw these crazy birthday parties for Austin, and they just really loved to spoil him. And I'm sure a lot of this came down to Diane didn't have any kids of her own, so she really poured a lot of herself into her godson. Along the way, investigators started learning more that made them question Tex's intentions. Danny Joe, who was the friend that was driving the car when the shooting happened, told officers that after the shooting, when they arrived at the hospital, Tex allegedly told Danny Joe to lie to the police and say that she wasn't in the car when the shooting took place. So Danny Joe was kind of, you know, like, hey, Tex, how is that going to work? Because it's obvious that a third person was driving the car and 
I say obvious because the only way Diane could have been shot through the back was if Tex was sitting right behind her in the back yeah. seat. So obviously somebody else was driving the car. But I don't understand this Tex saying like just, you know, he said, I just wanted to protect Danny Joe. I just didn't want her to have to get wrapped up in this mess. But why lie about anything at all if this was an accident? Because as soon as you tell one lie, even if it's like an, you think it's an innocent lie, like that just why would you do that? You right, don't you lose ever your credibility. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I just I I think that was a bad choice for him to try and get her um, to not tell the truth. Yeah. So additional to the fact that it was obvious enough that somebody else was in the car, there was also hospital surveillance footage that showed pretty clearly that Danny Joe was driving when they pulled up to the hospital, and there were also several witnesses present that had already seen her. Another interesting piece of information that investigators learned was that. Tex had borrowed a lot of money from his wife, Diane, several times in the past. They had their finances separate, as we talked about. But before they were married, Diane actually gave Tex a $750,000 loan. And in return, he deeded half of the ranch to her. And so the investigators were wondering, hey, maybe this is a motive. $750,000 and also half of his ranch is kind of a maybe would be a big deal to Tex. So later on in 2011, Diane apparently talked Tex. This is after they're married now. So she apparently talked Tex into building a pool house on their property so that they could throw parties in it. And she wanted to call this the saloon. Diane actually put the money up for this construction of this building, and it was $350,000. But for tax purposes, they used one of Diane's businesses to set up a loan for the payment, and then Tex agreed to pay it back with interest by December of 2014. Tex actually struggled to pay it back by that time, so they had the deadline extended to 2017. Now, some people claim that Tex and Diane never actually intended to pay that money back, but that they had it set up that way on paper so that they could get the tax benefits from the property. I don't know how any of that would possibly work. I'm very clueless when it comes to anything like this. Like, Melissa, you know how I am. Anytime we have to talk about anything like that, I'm like, uh-huh, yeah, okay, I get it. It makes sense. Yeah, I, know. I, I don't understand how any of this kind of stuff works. Taxes and things like that, like, don't have a clue. Couldn't tell well, you how they would ever benefit from doing this. I really have no, I don't have an idea. <laughs> and I always feel like an idiot because I'm, like, telling you stuff that, you know, an accountant's telling me and we're talking about it and I, like, so badly want to explain it right. But I like feel like I'm saying it so crazy that I'm like, she's going to think I'm doing something wrong. And I'm yeah. like, please, Mandy, every time I do something, I'm like, Mandy, please look at this. this I, I'm doing this. OK, you know, she's like, I know you have yeah. to do that. I'm like, we just look at it. We just look at it. <laughs> yeah. I know it doesn't make sense to me either. I, I need somebody to explain it to me. But this stuff, I have no clue on property and taxes and all that stuff. No. I'm, yeah. I'm a simple girl. I have no idea what's going on. Yeah. Here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it reminds me about hearing stories about people committing tax fraud and stuff. Like my biggest question is, how do you know how to do any of that? I don't like, have I even a know where clue. To begin. Like, you know, like I would have no idea. I don't know the ins and outs of that industry enough to even pull off any kind of a tax like scam. So, yeah, no. But Diane. Yeah. So Diane actually made tax sign a promissory note for this $350,000 loan thing that they had going on. And it was giving her the right to foreclose on the ranch if Tex did not pay her back. So the bottom line here with all of this is that the investigators wondered if this loan repayment issue was a possible motive. And so they kind of went off in that direction with the investigation. They also learned that Tex had been in another gun-related incident years earlier back in 1990. 
And in this case, he fired his gun at a vehicle that was outside of his house. And this vehicle actually ended up having three teenagers in it. They weren't really doing anything. Tech said that he felt like they were there for some nefarious purpose. And he had his gun and he fired shots into the air and also at this vehicle. Nobody was injured, but a grand jury did find probable cause to indict him. But then Tex managed to settle the matter privately outside of court, so the case was dropped. But it's just another interesting little thing that kind of gets thrown into the pile of evidence in this case. Right. In December of 2016, Tex did yet another thing that put the spotlight on himself. While the criminal investigation was still going on, Tex was having to deal with all the typical things you deal with when somebody passes away. He was the executor of Diane's estate, which meant he was responsible for settling affairs and the estate sale, which was expected to bring in thousands of dollars in this case. Diane had a lot of clothing and jewelry, as we said before. She really, really had loved shopping. Tex prepared over 2,000 items of Diane's to sell, things like animal print clothing, 121 fur coats, and designer handbags. Many of these items would go on to be auctioned off. He said he needed to do this sale so that he could fulfill the endowments Diane had in her will. The sale ended up bringing in $187,000. Thousands of people came out to see what they could buy. I can imagine for an estate sale like this, you'd want to see what was there. Yeah. So later in December, just four days before Christmas, investigators felt they had enough to file charges against Tex. Forensic experts conducted tests inside the vehicle where Diane was shot. Tex was then charged with involuntary manslaughter and reckless conduct, which are interesting charges. It seemed to indicate that investigators believe the shooting was an accident. Tex actually turned himself in at the Fulton County Jail, but shortly later, he posted bond. He lived on the outside, outside of jail until April 26, 2017. And that's whenever officers found that Tex was in possession of a firearm, which was obviously not allowed while he's out on bond. So his bond was revoked and he was sent back to jail. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard that he would do that. Like you're yeah. in there for. He tried saying he didn't know because he had so many guns and it was kind of one of those like, oh, I must have missed that one when I gathered up all my other ones. But it was in like a nightstand drawer. So, yeah, so he got in trouble for that. So in the meantime, prosecutors keep digging into Texas personal affairs, and they serve several subpoenas for the MacGyver's financial records, indicating that the DA's office may not be fully on board with this accident theory. On April 27th, Texas indicted on a different charge, the charge of malice murder. He was also charged with six other crimes, including three counts of influencing a witness. Texas trial began in March of 2019, and it lasted for six weeks. The jury was going to hear all of the evidence and then decide on six different charges, including malice murder, felony murder, and some other lesser charges. Texas defense team worked hard to prove to the jury that Tex and Diane were very much in love and everybody around them knew it. Numerous witnesses testified that they thought the shooting was an accident and that Tex would have never done anything to hurt his wife. Some who knew Tex and were in contact with him after the shooting said that he was really devastated about what happened. The prosecution, however, painted a different picture, and they had one where Tex was financially desperate and trapped by the debt that he was in with his wife. The jury was shown all the evidence that we talked about in this case, and the double action revolver was shown, the tests and the reports about evidence obtained in the car that night, All of these various nuances about Diane and Texas careers, all of this came to light in the trial. 
And there was just no getting around the fact that things just didn't really look great for Tex at this point. The jury, though, took their time deliberating over this case. They began deliberations on a Wednesday, and by Monday they announced that they were deadlocked. The judge then gave them an Allen charge, which is basically where the judge implores the minority to reconsider their decision and hopefully join the majority of jurors in reaching a unanimous decision. I don't know how I feel about that. If you feel that you opposite and you're in the minority, why are we trying to get them to just go with the majority? Isn't that the whole reason of having a jury? Yeah, well, that's the thing. And I don't understand it either, really, because... Okay, so what is it? A piece of paper? He just hands them and says, please, please go back in there and and think about it a little longer. Yeah, exactly. But like, and I get it when, you know, the court wants the jury to come to a verdict. They don't want to have this like hung jury or a deadlock jury because that's more money than if you have to go to trial again or you have to keep doing legal proceedings um, for the same case over and over. It costs money. So, of course, it's in the court's best interest for the jurors to agree and come to a unanimous decision. So I understand where they're coming from, where they're like, well, maybe take a few more minutes and think about this a little more. But, yeah, it is a little weird because it does kind of feel like the judge telling, you know, the minority jurors like, sorry, you are maybe not right. Maybe you should like just change your mind and listen to the rest of them. And like, I feel like that is a little, it does get a little sketchy there where it's like, "Mm, is that like totally ethical? I mean, obviously it is and it's fine. It's a thing that we have the Allen charge, but I do kind of feel like, I don't know. I feel like if I was on a jury and I was like in the minority, I would feel kind of bullied if the judge was like, reconsider your stance. Right. Well, I would be like, I've already taken this seriously and I came to the conclusion I came to. So like, I would feel kind of like, I would feel weird about it if they were like, "Mm, no, I know that again. And I'm sure when you're deliberating, you're already feeling somewhat bullied. Not always. I think sometimes it's very respectful, but you hear about where people say I was the holdout and they did not want me to be the holdout. And I, you know, I stood my ground and all that. And people were just like, you're wrong that, you know, they're fighting in there and stuff. So I can see what if the judge is like, "Hmm, I think you can change that opinion, uh, then it could be worse for that person. So it's it's just an interesting thing to me. And I feel like I just don't hear about it enough to think it happens that often. So it just sounds kind of like, what? How did this happen? So hours, hours later, though, the jury does come back with a verdict. The first charge they addressed was for malice murder. When the judge declared that Tex was not guilty of that crime, it felt like a small win, but there were still a handful of other charges they had to get through. The foreman read them off, and in the end, the jury had found Tex guilty on four of the charges, including aggravated assault and felony murder. This was really interesting because it's a little inconsistent. Finding Tex guilty of aggravated assault means he was guilty of a felony, so that's what they needed to convict him of felony murder. In felony murder, though, an intent to kill is not required. It just means someone was killed during the process of committing a felony, whether or not it was on purpose. So saying not guilty to malice murder meant the jury felt the state did not prove that he planned on killing his wife, but the guilty verdict to aggravated assault meant they did think he intended to shoot his wife. It's a little bit of a contradiction. Right. So one attorney who weighed in on the case said that she believed the jury just couldn't come to an agreement on whether or not Tex intended to kill Diane that night. So they sort of compromised and agreed to a felony murder conviction. But that kind of thing paves a way for a lot of post-trial legal stuff to take place. And of course, his people are going to be all over all of this. Like, it just, Of course, yeah. All of this from the very beginning, you know, they have stuff to work with now. 
So at the end of the trial, when it was time for the judge to address Tex and hand down his final ruling, Tex was allowed a few moments to speak. He told the court that the day that Diane chose him was the luckiest day of his life and that they, quote, loved each other like small children, end quote. One thing Tex didn't say, though, was that he was sorry for what happened, and the judge was not very happy with that. The judge said, quote, I'll tell you what's most telling. You had as much time as you wanted to share with me what you thought was important for me to hear. I didn't ever hear you say you're sorry for what you did. To me, that silence speaks volumes, end quote. Tex was then sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole. But at age 75, even Tex knew it was unlikely he'd ever live a free life again. Appeals are expected in this case, as we were talking about, but he was just convicted in April of 2019, so it's just been about two years, and also the pandemic happened last year. So this is one we're going to keep our eye on. And we definitely agree that the verdicts were confusing and really opened the door for appeals. Mandy, what are your thoughts? Well, you know, we talked a little bit before we started recording about our thoughts on this. I just, this is another one. I think I'm pretty sure that, I think he did it on purpose. I hate to say that because it does sound like they had like a good relationship, but I mean, people do the craziest things when they feel backed into a corner, especially with financially. And that is a lot of money you're talking about. Like that she basically loaned him a million dollars total and he you know, he had no way to really repay it back to her. And so he's like, oh, I'll give you half the ranch. And then she had this promissory note that was giving her, you know, permission to foreclose on the ranch if Tex didn't pay her back. So, I mean, that is kind of people do. Yeah, people do come up with crazy plans in those kind of desperate situations if they feel like it's a desperate situation. So I don't know. I do think the whole argument about having the double action revolver is something that gives me a pause because, it does take um, effort, you know, to pull the trigger of a gun like that. And so I, not I mean, obviously you can. It's not like it's impossible, right. of course, but they're designed that way on purpose so that something like this doesn't happen. So that like a little bump in a car can't set off the gun. So I do have questions about why was he holding a gun on his lap while he was sleeping in a car? And, you know, he did know better. He should have known better. And so I don't know. I just don't think that somebody would have done that. Yeah. Knowing as much as he did about guns, I feel like that wouldn't have been something that he would have done. So I just don't know. I don't know. I do think, I think it was, I think it was a murder. Huh. I don't know. I think there's, I can see both sides of that. I just, I can also see somebody that's in their seventies, no offense to him, who's been dealing with guns his whole life, who knows all the rules, but maybe doesn't think rules apply to him. Like we saw with the whole, um, after he was out on bond and is just holding a gun and it's never been a problem before and he's not thinking and he's been drinking that night and he's sitting in the back and he's startled and he de- I can see that happening. Because on what in what world would you shoot your wife in the back when there's her best friends driving the car? Like that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I That's the true. The way too. it happened doesn't make sense. And if there were like threats, if they were having problems in their marriage and she was like, I'm going to leave him if he doesn't pay me by this day. Okay, then I can see it. But this is kind of like, it sounds like they did stuff for tax reasons and stuff. And maybe he owed her the money, but they were happy. And she was like, whatever, we're, I mean, you're in your 70s. I don't know. I just feel like at that point in my life, I'm going to be kind of like, eh, whatever happens, happens. I'm not going to care right. so much. <laughs> so maybe I could be totally wrong on that. So that's where I'm kind of like, I don't know. But I don't know what I don't know what happened. Only one person really knows what happens. And uh, jury found him guilty. And, um, you know, he's got his appeals and stuff like that. So we'll see what happens. 
Yeah, definitely. Definitely an interesting story. Yeah, for sure. Interesting details and a lot to think about. Okay, Melissa, are we ready to move on to last thing before we go? I think so. Okay. I mean, yes. Perfect. You're not allowed to say no. (laughs) Okay. Do you want to explain what we're doing this week, Melissa? Okay. I'm going to explain what I think we're doing this week. So the only idea that came to my mind this week was giving each other, I'm in a spring mood, giving each other ideas of things that happen in the spring and the person to guess. So if I give you like three clues, uh, like picnic basket, not picnic basket, red checkered, whatever, what is right. that called? Sheet thing, uh, fruit and something you would guess that it was a picnic. That's a spring thing. So that's kind of what we're doing. You're going to hate mine, but uh, do you want to go first or you want me to go first? Um, you can go first. Okay. My first clue is, and now I'm thinking, wondering if this is right. Leather, popcorn, and spit. What? I know. And and the first one could be wrong. So I might just be starting this off on the wrong thing. Um, no, it's not leather. Hold on. What would it be? Um, oh, gosh. Okay, let's go. I'll, I'll make it easier. Uniform, popcorn, spit. Baseball game. Yay. I don't know Yay. what I was thinking with leather. I was thinking I the ball is made of leather. It's not made of leather. There's no way. Well, the glove is, is the glove. The gloves are. Oh, maybe that's what I was doing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this was Melissa a few hours ago. I don't know what she was up to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Going to a baseball game. Okay. All right. There so here's go. my, here's my first one. Water bottle, granola bars, helmet. Going biking. Yay, going on a bike Yay. ride. I put, I put mine so specific. I said going on a scenic bike ride. <laughs> oh, okay. Calm down. <laughs> Calm down. Okay. My next one is, uh, do I want to do this one? Okay. Parks and Rec, Happy Endings, The Wonder Years. Um, binge watching television? You don't need to do that in the spring. <laughs> Mandy, that's hurtful and meaner than anything my daughter's even said to me this week. <laughs> Um, no, it's mid-season replacements. I love when we oh. get mid-season replacements. Some of my favorite shows come out whenever another show's gotten canceled. Those are all mid-season Let replacements. me tell you, let me just clue you into how much I actually just don't watch TV. I have literally never heard the term mid-season replacements before right now. Oh. So <laughs> <laughs> I knew I was pushing it, but I really just wanted to talk about Parks and Rec. And I figured happy endings would throw you off because I figured you might not even know that that was a show. So I no. thought yeah. I'd just throw you off in there. All right. Perfect. Okay. My next one, SPF 50, personal cooling fan, sunglasses. Things you bring to the beach. It could be that. Wait, why, but Why did I say like Jeopardy? Okay. <laughs> um, it could be things that you bring to the beach, but no, it's just simply living in Florida. <laughs> oh, that's true. In the spring. I do carry sunscreen. Yes. Yeah. I carry sunscreen for my son, especially. Okay. My last one is beach beers bros <laughs> what beach beers bros i don't know i'm gonna say this in the voice of kitty from arrested development spring break woo! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> spring break all right i have one more yeah okay and one more all right magic eraser feather duster the new Bissell Crossway Spring Cordless cleaning. Max. <laughs> <laughs> that magic eraser is my best friend. Yeah. I love it so much. I do too. I have a giant box of magic erasers now that I went and lost my mind and decided that when we remodeled our house, I wanted like everything to be white. So yeah. I realized, I realized after like three weeks that that was 
one of the worst ideas I've ever had. So magic erasers <laughs> definitely are my best friend and I love carrying them around and wiping walls with them because it's that's instant what my, that's satisfaction. what my life is now. Yeah. <laughs> it's just instant satisfaction. You are like, oh, I cannot wait to take this on because you immediately see a difference and it's like a big difference. Yeah. But oh, I feet on the walls. Explain to me why my son does that all the time. It's just, I'm like, your feet are so disgusting, but they're also so cute. I know. And he's going to get bigger. <laughs> I'm not going to like it anymore. But oh, yeah, they're just disgusting little children. I love them. But my gosh, stop with the feet on the walls. I've, I've yeah. never done that as an adult. <laughs> All right, Melissa. Well, I think we've had a great show this week. Yes. This was, a, this was a great story, a great episode. It was. So before we go, two things. Mandy, have you ever watched Dawson's Creek? Um, No. Okay. There was a show that was called Dawson's Creek. I don't know if that part <laughs> is news for you. <laughs> No, I, knew, I know that it exists. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so Alvin with Affirmative Murder, he hosts a show called Down Down by the Creek, and it's a recap thing. I only watched it a little bit. I wasn't allowed to watch it whenever I was a teenager. Are you surprised? No, it's not surprising. I wasn't allowed to watch it. And so he recaps them, and he invited me on, and I recapped an episode with him this last week on Down by the Creek. So uh, it's Yay. the craziest thing, Mandy. It's unhinged, like I literally gasped at the end of it because, like, I, I just can't believe the things that were going on in this high school. It, it was insane. <laughs> I'll have to tell you about it after. But, yeah, check that out. And then uh, also we're going to be playing a promo um, from our friends with Criminal Conduct. They just started their second season. It's Javier with Pretend and John Taylor with uh, Twisted Podcast. And it's about a constable in Kentucky that goes rogue. And constable's basically like a sheriff, but you don't get hired you get elected and you have all the same rights and they're I don't know they're doing all this crazy stuff and you can't believe people are getting away with it so anyway it's going on like there's a trial that's going on right now so you're following it as it's going on which is kind of interesting so you get like updates and stuff like that it's really cool so yeah check that out that just came out we'll be playing the promo for that sounds awesome all right guys well we will see you back not next week but on April 27th with a new episode. Have a great two weeks. Bye. Criminal Conduct is back with a brand new season. John, what is a constable? Like a police officer, they can carry a gun, a badge, and drive around town with blue lights. But a constable is much more powerful than a regular police officer. In Kentucky, a constable has all the powers of a sheriff. He answers to no one but the voters on election day. And there's one constable in Kentucky that got our attention. Mike Wallace, the constable, was a walking civil rights violation. He's got a gun and a badge and is able to intimidate a lot of people. He'll pull people over. Hey, what's that in your car? So you have this rogue law enforcement officer with unchecked power making all these arrests. I mean, I get calls from people that are physically scared. If he got behind me and turned his blue lights on, I ain't stopping. We found out that basically Constable Wallace is just listening in on the right bandwidth and showing up to these calls before the police can. First guy there gets the first whack at, at making the arrest and making any money off of things. But how does a constable make money in Kentucky? Constables can keep up to 85% of the cash that they seize and a percentage of the proceeds from the property they take. But other constables have found other ways of making money. The one constable that we're talking about this season has been accused of shaking people down and stealing their cash. 
this guy that you bought these pills off is the father of the constable who steals dope gives to his father to sell it's, it's been it's been long known that this has been going on for years i said now it's only a matter of time before uh they come and get us so they had a key they opened the door and they walked in on you guys sleeping and you woke up to a bunch of cops with guns right woke up with two uh, guns in my faces that must have been terrifying huh yeah listen when you got a constable is out here hooking and crooking people and making more arrests than the state police and the local DEA. You know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like giving the fox the keys to the chicken house. This Wally guy is notorious for planting drugs, stealing shit. Everybody knows it. It's just we just can't, we just can't nail him. He said, but you know what? You might, you just might be the difference. From the creators of Twisted and Pretend Podcast comes season two of Criminal Conduct. The new season starts on April 16th. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm not a bear. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.